More Than Books podcast. It's me, Jake, as your intrepid host, and I am always with my co-host. Hey, it's me, Joel. Yes. <laughs> and so we are recording this in December, and so this is going to be our last recording for the year. And today we're actually going to talk about a little, well... You may consider it a little on the dry side, but we think it's actually going to be useful, uh, which is how I would classify the class that I, I took earlier this semester, and that is copyright, and specifically copyright and you in regards to fair use. So so what what does that mean, Jake? What, what, uh, what are we focusing on here? What's fair use? Essentially, fair use, it is a law and a provision within U.S. copyright law, specifically Section 107, that allows you as a United States citizen to uh, take a work that is copyrighted and utilize it in a way that is wholly different from the original. Essentially, you are turning it into another thing uh, that is different enough uh, that it is a whole new creation. And you can do that without needing the permission of the copyright owner. Um, can you give me an example of how that might be useful? Like, what uh, what is something that would fall under fair use? Uh, oftentimes, fair use nowadays uh, is used a lot in music. There's a significant amount of fair use in, uh, like, hip-hop and rap. So, uh, you saying, like, sampling? Sampling, yeah. Sampling yeah. is a perfect example of fair use in our society. There's a lot of art that is used uh, specifically, and that would that specifically falls under fair use as well. Uh, collage work often falls under that. And then uh, since today there's a lot of video creation through something like uh, YouTube or uh, any numbers, uh, Twitch, that sort of thing, uh, those uses oftentimes can be considered fair use depending on how it's used. Oftentimes it isn't as well. Sometimes it's just blatant copyright theft, uh, which I know we here in the States don't always pay attention to. Realistically, copyright isn't paid much attention to the world over only because uh, it is... Uh, it is expensive for litigation uh, purposes. It's it's really expensive to sue someone over copyright generally. And so you have to you have to be a big company that is more or less the per, the perpetrator of a lawsuit. Right, right. But we're we're kind of jumping the gun, I think, with that topic because I I would like to get into like what happens if you happen to have someone contest your use, but. Uh, now, could... now you mentioned sampling, and sorry to interrupt you. No, but, that's uh, fine. It, it seems like a murky gray area to me in regards to sampling. Even. Yes. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about uh, Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby, which the oh, yeah. baseline is um, a David Bowie and Queen song. Right, right. And didn't Pre- get pressure sued specifically. under pressure? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that went, to, that went to court. I don't know if... Uh, so, I can't remember who won that case, but uh, no, that I think Ice Ice Baby, I think uh, MC... Well, not MC Hammer. What is it? Uh, you just said his name. <laughs> Vanilla Ice. Vanilla Ice. You said Ice Ice, Ice Baby. Come I on. did say Ice Ice, Ice Baby. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Vanilla Ice Cream uh, is good. No, the uh, 
his use of that would have fallen or was at least uh, determined to be fair use, if I recall correctly. It is different enough and transformative enough, which we'll get into that topic here in a sec, that the courts considered it to, to fall under that. And that's, that's, a, that's kind of intentional. Uh, fair use is not hard-lined laws. It is a little on the loosey-goosey side. And there's a reason for that is because the courts do not want to, and we especially, I think, uh, as librarians, do not want to see fair use given hardline rules. Because the instant you give hardline rules, that gives a whole lot of power to lawyers and companies that want to sue. The fact that they have to interpret each and every fair use individually gives us, uh, as Consumers, users, librarians, etc., students, a significant amount of power. And that's that's why fair use is fairly uh, strong here and is gaining strength because we're starting to see cases um, that help determine kind of the extent of fair use in today's society. Specifically, more or less with some YouTube stuff. Oh yeah, I mean, when it comes to everybody putting things out there now everybody's using music and images and video and making the you know all the people that are uploading their own videos to youtube and you know it's a murky area a lot of the time like where are they getting the raw materials for this video that they're making is it uh is it copyrighted materials is it uh things that they got permission to use maybe not does it fall under fair use that's really what the question is and and uh i as i mentioned in the opener uh, i just finished because i'm working on my master's i just finished a course on copyright in libraries so this is really fresh in my mind which is kind of why we're talking about it today but i think this is an important uh an important topic for us to discuss um so when determining fair use there are actually four individual factors uh that makes it really This, I think, is probably the easiest and most simple way to think of fair use in society. So the four factors are purpose, nature, amount, and the effect. So the purpose, essentially, is how is the work being used. So if it's being used for, like, educational purposes, research, if it's being used by a nonprofit organization... Is it a criticism on something? Is it a parody? Uh, are you reporting it as news? Or is it transformative? Which is, that is probably one of the key features. And that's why something like sampling and rap music works, is that you're taking a portion of something that is copyrighted, but you're using it in a way that is c- totally different than the original. On that note, I will say I did look up that Vanilla Ice uh, story, and uh-huh. he did lose that. Uh, oh, he lost that. Yeah. Oh, um, so he, he had, had to, to give pay... credit to uh, to Queen and David Bowie. Oh. And he ended up purchasing the publishing rights to Under Pressure so that he wouldn't have to pay him royalties after that. That makes sense. It was cheaper to purchase the publishing rights to that song for than, him than to pay it out. Than yeah. to pay out. The I could. Royalties. I can completely understand that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is when it when it. When it comes to cases uh, that are very high dollar, uh, that makes a lot of sense on why he would do that. Because he, he, that song in particular is pretty much his one-hit wonder. So if he, in order to continue to make money off of it, he has to protect its use. 
smart, uh, actually, and that's that's a, a the, the perfectly uh, legal and reasonable way to use that work. So uh, good on him. Yeah, because uh, the lawsuit um, said he had to give full songwriting credit to uh, oh, to Queen and David Bowie. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and I'm surprised he may own the copyright to that, but the songwriting credit probably means he does have to pay their estates yeah. um so i mean maybe he's not paying quite as much but who knows how much that song gets used it's no, it's no happy birthday so, um, <laughs> which is no longer in copyright by the way thank goodness <laughs> yes because they found yeah. a an actual version of that song that predates 1923 um which is that is everything before 1923 is considered uh, in the uh, public domain. They found, yeah, they found sheet music of the same music, but with different words. Yes. But it's the same song. The, if, yeah. it, if it's the same song, then they do not own... Because that's really the thing. The words, more or less, are not quite as important, just because it's really hard to copyright happy birthday to you, happy birthday <laughs> to you. That's a sentence, but who knows in that regard. But certainly the melody is the problem. <laughs> Random aside um, on that uh, on the subject of happy birthday, the reason that you would see so many weird variations or new in in movies and TV, no one would ever actually sing the happy birthday song. They would sing yeah, a very yeah a, a some happy happy birthday. Yes, some some sort of different happy birthday song is because it cost an astronomical amount of money to get the rights to use that song yes the <laughs> the, the the rights owners for that particular song were extremely litigious happy they they want to sue the pants off anyone using that work and that's also part of the reason that uh it became such a big deal and that they lost that yeah okay so like they were they were being a little too if they had a they weren't being quite as litigious about it. People probably wouldn't have been trying to dig up that old sheet music to oh yeah their, their to, to find to find the chink in the armor yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's you know that just goes to show is if it's something that is as integral and crucial to society as that it's oftentimes it, sometimes it's just not worth fighting it um, or you know I, I, who knows the, they made a lot of money off of it and I think they had to give a lot of that money back. Uh, and that's that's how it works. Didn't actually own the rights to the song. Thankfully, it was old, so we, we all own the rights to it because it's public domain. <laughs> um, so getting back to purpose, things that are not in favor of fair use in regards to purpose is if it's for entertainment purposes or if it's a public performance. So you taking Ice Ice Baby, playing it outside for all your friends, uh, or not your friends, excuse me, for like a large group of people in a concert setting and you didn't pay the rights for it, not cool. Uh, if it's for any sort of commercial activity, if you're profiting from its use, uh, if you're denying credit to the original author, which again, Ice Ice Baby is a perfect example, or uh, a what's considered bad faith behavior so essentially you you say you did a search for the cop for the copyright owner and it turns out that that copyright owner didn't like you you say you you couldn't find them but they're very they're quite easily found that would be considered kind of a bad faith uh, behavior yeah so like uh, if you're aware that the use is uh, that the use of the work is not fair uh, that it is copyrighted and you can get those rights that is considered bad faith uh, which is easily done with in regards to like music and television that sort of stuff is 
easily gotten uh now i want to say easily i don't mean cheaply i just mean you can go to a company or an organization and buy rights yeah yeah uh the second kind of kind of key point as we're going down the line is nature so essentially what is the the how is that work being used um not necessarily its purpose but like what is it is it a published work because published versus unpublished. Like, if you were to take someone's mem- unpublished memoir and then turn that into something like a, a novelization or something, not cool. Um, that person never got the chance to make money off of that that memoir. That is not going to cover you under <laughs> fair use. Um, and all of, I should say, all of this, these are guidelines. None of this is law. So your usage, you kind of have to kind of have to go down the line and, and think of like okay uh am, it does it follow the purpose does it follow the does it is it kind of in the right side of the nature it's it's, it's it fluctuates only because we don't want to give those hard line rules on how fair use is is determined um and then uh is it factual or non-fiction based so you know it's hard to copyright facts because yeah. so that goes into like documentary usage might be fair use if you're doing a factual documentary or writing the, a news story right or a, right yeah. yeah the the facts found within the documentary um are were probably could be were more than likely would be considered fair use um the documentary itself however is a work that is copyrightable uh, because it's it's you have to kind of break it down um, because that person is creating something and it's it's a, in many many ways taking those facts turning it into a something like a documentary getting that film that is transformative in its use as well and that doesn't mean that you can't just go and uh, take any footage you want if it's factual or nonfiction and use it for your documentary. No, because a lot they... of times that footage will be copyrighted or yes. by someone. Like say, one one actual little example of that is: Do you remember the uh, the Obama Hope poster? Yes, uh, yes, two thousand eight. That, that's actually that came up in my class. Yeah, uh, as yeah. an example of that particular uh, point in nature. As a matter of fact, so yeah, uh, the the guy who made that poster took Obama's a picture of Obama's face. Turns out the photograph was copyrighted. By uh, the Associated Press. It was yeah. a news photo. And they were a little cheesed off about it. <laughs> Mainly because he made a lot of money from selling those posters. A lot yeah. of money. Posters, t-shirts. Book. I think he had a book. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, there, there, there it is. And then the last thing is, is it important, when regards to nature, is it important to educational objectives? I'm reading off of a list, people. I, I don't know. Is this the uh, the copyright checklist? This is the copyright checklist. Yeah, you can find this online. The um, uh, Columbia University Library has this a is, whole section on their website, which is the uh, yeah. That's this is this checklist is based off of their checklist. Yeah. So um, this really really helps in understanding whether or not your use of something is fair use, or if you are using it e- essentially illegally. Um, but of course that is all for the courts to determine. So hopefully you feel confident, uh, that you can, d- uh, defend your use. Um, so opposing, uh, something that wouldn't be considered, uh, uh, covered under, under the nature of the work, if it's unpublished, if it's a fictional work, like if it's a creative, a high creative piece of artwork or a, a fictional uh, piece of artwork. Yeah. Don't steal those things. Someone came up with those off their brains. 
That's that's not cool. And that's and nature is generally that one's fairly cut and dry. That one there's not quite so loosey goosey as the purpose, uh, as is the amount. So what favors fair use as in regards to the amount of the of the work used is like. Is it a very tiny section? Are you using parts from something? Again, sampling is a good example of that. They're only taking a two or three second clip and maybe repeating it. So if that portion is not necessarily kind of the reason for the work, and if it's not covered under that, then that would be considered fair use. So a random question about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> at what point, um, you know, I'm thinking about film, and I'm thinking about how directors like Quentin Tarantino often will recreate scenes from older movies mm-hmm. or use dialogue from older movies. Right. Uh, like very similar pacing, very similar framing. The, sure, sure. The situation and characters are different, but uh, he often uses old film language from like kurosawa and uh mm-hmm. um well, old westerns old you know these and even musical cues a lot of the time oh yeah yeah, yeah absolutely uh, at what yeah. point is like a recreation like that a reference well at what point does a reference like does that it, become outright theft it would it would have to be pretty much a one-to-one creation i i would think he i mean if it's and that, that's the thing, is I think he gets dinged on that sometimes. I think there are people that try to bring uh, bring him up on that occasionally. I, I swear he's been brought to court about something that he's used in the past. Uh, Joel's going to maybe see if it's in there. If if I were doing, if I were looking at it objectively, uh, not that I'm a lawyer, because I'm not. Um, I've taken a class on copyright. That's it, people. Um, but if I was looking at that objectively, I would say that more than likely... It is commentary or criticism. It would fall under that because you're kind of commenting on the scene itself. Uh, if it's, it could be considered parody to some extent, but it's probably not necessarily a parody of the work. It is met kind of paying homage. So I would also argue that it's potentially transformative because you're taking that scene and then kind of adding it to something that is bigger than that scene itself. So, I mean, you're not necessarily recreating the film one-to-one. It is a portion in there that is similar to to make a, a work that's greater than the original. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that ma- that makes perfect sense to me. And I know when it comes to, like, musical cues, he clearly... We'll get permission to use those. Oh yeah, um, no, that's and for him that's got to be easy because yeah, he yeah. has his budget for those films is so huge. I mean, that's all just part of making a movie. Um, and you know, he plays a lot around with genre, and so there's a lot, of, especially westerns. He loves westerns, so you <laughs> see a lot of tropes and you see a lot of uh, stylistic music from previous westerns used. And I'm sure he's paying for a lot of rights for that. I mean, that's he has to. That's just how it's how Hollywood works. Well, you know, with all the with all the Star Wars madness uh, going on right now too, since the new movie's coming out right now, I actually heard that uh, in the original Star Wars, uh, A New Hope, George Lucas uh, storyboarded some of the uh, dogfights by taking documentary footage from World War II um, mm-hmm. era dogfights and basically recreating it with X-Wings and TIE Fighters. Yeah. Like, shot for shot. That would be an example, I think, of transformative use. I think that that, especially since it's not a it's not a one-for-one one of the planes. Yeah. So yeah. he's just taking inspiration from that. And, I, yeah, I think that's where it would fall. And, unfortunately, I don't think those films are under, are under public domain uh, because they were, if I recall correctly, on the timing 
that would be after 1923. Yeah. yeah. So, because it's World War II. Now, because it was probably filmed not by the U.S. government. Interestingly enough, any document that is created while a politician uh, who is, I believe any U.S. governmental uh, employee or politician, essentially anything they create, uh, is considered public domain. Something that I didn't know before I started the class. So any speech that Obama creates and reads aloud in an official manner, all that stuff is public domain. I suppose that makes sense. Yes, yeah. it, it's, uh, it's 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 something that you don't really think about a lot, but yeah, no, no. Sense. So things created generally created by our government, those are in the public domain for all of us, <laughs> uh, which is, I think is why it's so easy to maybe write things about. You don't necessarily have to worry about paying someone for something that's governmental uh, commentary on something they use to be able to pull quotes or something like that from a speech. Now, you do have to attribute. You should always attribute uh, (laughs) anything you use. You should always make sure that that's in there. I mean, we always do that. I I will say this, and this is maybe jumping the the gun a little bit, and we'll, we'll continue on in a sec, but every single piece of music that we use for this podcast is under a Creative Commons license. I make sure of that every time that I put together a podcast. Uh, And I always attribute the music in our show notes on archive.org. So if you ever wanted to know who did what song, you can go there and see it. And I, I don't think in the beginning I was linking to their works. I say where you can get it from, and I say the name of the artist and the name of the song. Now... I actually will will put in a link to that exact page with the song. Okay. So, if you like the, any of the music that we're you're listening to on our podcast, that's one way that you can get it. We've uh, we've covered purpose and, and nature, nature and a little use. a little bit under most of, of the concept of of the amount of the work. One of the key features, uh, or at least one of the thoughts to, to to keep in mind when when you're using the amount of the work is the concept of the heart of the work. So you're cher- essentially it's the concept of cherry picking. You are taking a copyrighted work and you're only using a portion of it, but the portion that you're using is like the most important part of that work. And that, that you would say that is the heart of the work. That is the purpose. Uh, that, that piece, that section, is why someone wants to consume that work. So if you're taking like the most important chapter out of a book and utilizing that, you're taking a particular lyric or harmony or something along those lines out of a song and including that in yours, that is not in... Uh, support of fair use. One one thing I can think of recently was um, trying to think of that guy's name, but there was a Tom Petty song that sounded very similar to a, and Tom Petty wrote the original song, but right, uh, right. Sam, what's his name? Sam something? Ooh, I don't know. I'm not a fan of Tom Petty. Uh, How can you not for... be a fan of Tom Petty? I'm... Okay, Sam Smith wrote a song called "Stay with Me," which was pretty big on the radio. Oh recently. yes, no, now and I remember it's this. Almost 
the the chorus of it is the exact same melody yes. as Tom Petty's "I Won't Back Down" in the same key, just slowed down a little bit. Ooh, yeah, that's yeah. not that's hard work. <laughs> and, that's, um, that's literally, and that's not only hard of the work, but that's almost just straight up theft. Yeah. So Tom Petty was awarded the songwriting royalties for that song. Uh, now it could have been a coincidence. It very well could. It have. very well could have. You know, and that happens a lot with creative works. Is that someone will write something, mm-hmm. and the, the inspiration is so kind of back of the mind, kind of uh, subconscious. They never realize that that's where they got the work from. So it may yeah. not have been intentional. But yeah, I, I will say it's it's very similar. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if it's enough that he had to pay, that, that they decided to pay the, the songwriting royalties rather than take it to court, <laughs> then it's, it wasn't worth fighting. It was like, whoops, well, I screwed up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, either it was intentional or unintentional. Regardless of the fact, you got to pay royalties. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, if we did not have this particular system in place for copyrighted works, we would not see creative works out in public are uh, the concept of artwork and uh commentary criticism all these things just wouldn't exist in our society because we'd have no way to support the people that create this stuff if if you could steal constantly you just don't see new stuff getting created there's no purpose now that that point could be argued because there's things like creative commons that exist which we can get we'll get to here and as we get through the checklist <laughs> be patient in general we we kind of need something some system in place to support the creative works uh, of people in our country so Moving on, uh, the <laughs> last uh, little thing is, and this is actually probably the most argued point in court cases, is the effect of the use of that work on the original. Essentially, is it going to affect the original creator's ability to make money off of their work, if that makes sense? Yeah. So if you're... T- but the Tom Petty case is a perfect example that I could see that argument being made, where it's like, listen, you stole my melody. It's good. It has made me a lot of money. But you're using that melody to create a work off of that melody that is quite potentially affecting my work. Yeah, you're yeah. stealing money from me. That is the big. That is one of the big factors. Now, what favors your use as far as diminishing the effect on the original is is it restricted access? Um, this is used a lot in academic libraries uh, when they're digitizing stuff. Uh, if the the item is digitized and it's in a essentially a locked database that's not accessible by everyone, that helps support its use. Uh, is one or only a few copies made. This is oftentimes used for making like paper copies and stuff or or, or making uh, small numbers of recordings, you know, are, are something you, for personal use too. Uh, like more it's often clearly than not. not yeah, it's it's, it's a, a well in a in a university, it's a professor making a copy of a chapter for their personal use for when they're teaching, not making copies of it and handing it out to everybody in class. Correct. And, yeah. Yeah, no, that's the ex- exactly what we're getting at. That, that particular use of copying is not going to affect, not necessarily going to affect the the money that's made off of that textbook company. You know, it's not going to affect their market share. Uh, if you own 
or lawfully purchase uh, the copyright of the original work. I feel like that's super silly that they had to put that in the checklist, but uh, yeah, you know, if you own the rights, then yeah, why are we even worrying about fair use? And then uh, the lack of a licensing mechanism for digital excerpt. This is argued a lot only because there we don't have a good way to use stuff that is orphaned. Anything old, out of print. Any old out you can't of print find the author there's or no copyright there's holder. no you can't contact the author you can't contact the publishing house it's it's the dead publisher the work is after 1923 so it's not in the public domain but uh it, there's no clear there's no clear way to license the work and uh, so that would fall under that would favor fair use However, orphaned works are a whole nother bag of, uh, of, uh, of bag of dimes that I don't want to get hit with. Uh, so I don't know if we want to get into that quite right now. Uh, it's there's there was a whole section on orphaned works in my class. Uh, so this is one section, then we orphan works, and we kind of go from there. Um, stuff that isn't in support of fair use is, of course, making stuff publicly available. Makes sense if you're making a, a ton of copies. If it could ever replace the original work, it's a big deal. So, like, let's say Tarantino makes a movie that is uh, almost a one-for-one of a Kurosawa film. Ooh, that's not good. (laughs) Not that he would do that, but I'm just saying. Uh, (laughs) Or Gus Van Sant makes a shot-for-shot remake of Psycho. Yeah, that would would do it, too. I know, he had... He had permission to do that, though. Well, that would be the, yeah. that, that's the thing, is he got permission. Yeah. He either paid or, or was given permission in yeah. some fashion. That movie's uh, still ridiculous. Yes. Uh, and then um, affordable permission or reasonably available licensing mechanism is available. Makes sense. Yeah. If you can get the rights and the rights are reasonably priced, then you should get the rights to use the work. Unless you, uh, that, now that point could be argued. I mean, if you're using it for educational purposes, you probably can't afford to get the rights for it. And why would you? You're just using it for educational purposes. You're not looking to make money off of it. But if you're looking to make money off of it, you probably should do that. However, when it comes to hip hop and sampling, it's not, there just isn't, the, the their fair use is in favor enough that the companies that own the rights or the, the, the artists or rights owners to those original works don't think they can win. And I think, and I think this, this kind of gets us into the point of the, that concept. It's a nice transition. Companies typically, if they, they'll start with a cease and desist almost always. It's usually the first step. And you, I mean, we see these on the internet a lot. Uh, people that create content for YouTube. People will flag their videos and then potentially send a cease and desist either to Google and YouTube or send it to the creator originally. Uh, And usually the person doesn't have the money to be able to fight that court case and so they give in. It seems like Google um, lately with YouTube especially like if they get any complaint whatsoever they just pull the video almost immediately. Oh yeah. Um, and won't look into it again unless they unless the person that uploaded the video appeals that decision. Yeah, they have like, to they have to fight. They will. It. Yeah, they don't they don't even review it. They'll just oh, we got a copyright claim. The video is coming down. Yeah, like they they will pull it unless someone fights back for it. I think it's we have a very reasonable sounding copyright claim. Not necessarily a true one, but a very reasonable sounding one. <laughs> and this there the next step after a cease and desist usually most things end there. 
Because the person that's trying to use the work will simply kowtow to the person that's you, that owns the copyright, and then that's that's a done deal. However, um, in regards to YouTube, uh, we saw a seminal case recently that Prince, of all people, who is kind of kind of known for his uh, almost like iron fist control of his copyrighted works. He has sued multiple people multiple times over the use of his music. And what essentially happened is a mother was filming her child running around to and in the background, not even featured in the film, which is which is a key point. In the background was a Prince song. And she had this on YouTube. It got views. I don't think it did exceptionally well, but it did all right. I've seen the video. It's very poor quality. It's not <laughs> something that you could consider like a high production value video. It's not something that someone would watch and rip the music off of it to right. uh, add to their music collection. It was a like, very low quality sound recording as well. Like you could not argue that it was CD or even MP3 or streaming remote quality. However, Prince apparently thought that that was in violation of his copyright ownership and he took this woman to court. Now, obviously, I think it there was a long progression there. I think he probably started with a cease and desist. And then she decided to argue against it. And that's when it went to court. <laughs> that battle was going on for like three or four years. It has been going on for oh, a really long time. It started in 2007. So. Oh, wow. Even longer. Yeah. Uh, See, it's been a while since we've talked about this case in class. Um, what, are, what are some of the details? Because they're kind of eluding me right now. I don't have okay, that pulled let's up. Let's see. Okay. So uh, it was a 30-second video. It wasn't even a long video. No, it was it's um, very short. Of a baby pushing a toy around and dancing to a Prince song. Um, yep. Universal Music Group assigned a YouTube takedown notice for significant use, um, more than, which they claimed as being more than one second long and not drowned out. Yeah, uh, entirely unreasonable. Yeah. Which is, again, why that... Well, we'll, we'll get onto it. Sorry, we're jumping yeah. the gun. The video was pulled. The person that uploaded the video um, made a response to YouTube, and YouTube ended up putting it back up. And then... She filed her own lawsuit against Universal Music Group saying that they knew, like, they knew it would fall under fair use, but they were just, uh, yes. trying to, using bullying tactics to, uh, get, get them, get YouTube to take the video down. Right, right. So, I think she, she won. No, she absolutely won. Yeah, she won. won the lawsuit. Oh, yeah. No, this was, this is huge. Yeah. This so, was... it sets a precedent now yes. saying that if your video gets unlawfully taken down because of a false copyright claim, a knowingly false copyright claim, then, um, you can get sued for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can get countersued. That's big deal. Uh, that was <laughs> that was a huge thing for fair use. That that we spent a significant amount of time in class just talking about this case because it was extremely important. And my my professor was really really into this case only because it it means a lot to us as consumers and creators. Because YouTube is kind of the main platform for the everyman to create their works and spread it out into the ether. And if we cannot utilize something under fair use so that it's it's that's reasonable, then it, we it prevents us from creating or from utilizing other people's works and creating something new. We would have to have our own original music or we would have to use uh, Creative Commons music, which thank goodness for Creative Commons, because if that didn't exist, I swear I, w I would never have music for this podcast. 
So interestingly enough, um, and this isn't really related to Creative Commons, but uh, since Google is trying to release this new subscription-based YouTube channel, it's called YouTube Red, and they're giving it away as part of a Google Play Music subscription. Um, it has curated videos of co- like really famous YouTubers, uh, like PewDiePie, who does oh, yes. yeah, that kind of thing. Right. Um, video game let's plays yeah that kind of thing which is huge yeah on video game content on youtube makes up like a significant portion i'm not going to throw out a percentage because i don't know for sure but yeah it's a pretty big deal and just because it's it's a visual media that's relatively mm-hmm. easy to capture and share and it provides uh, a platform for commentary and enjoyment do i agree necessarily always with its use my inherent problem and i i sometimes question its use as fair use only because if i'm looking at this objectively as as someone who understands copyright law and how it is it is controlled and, and, and covered in our society you're showing everything in the video game now you're not it's not necessarily um interactive so there i think therein lies the fair use is it's not necessarily the heart of the work because the heart of the work would be if you stole a video game and put it up on youtube or put it up on a website so that people could play it yeah that's your your it's blatant theft but in many games, if you play it and have other people and share that with essentially the world, you're kind of ruining the enjoyment of the game. You're, you're removing any mystery, any storyline concepts. The person is almost vicariously playing the game with you in their minds as they watch it. Well, I will say I, I do like Let's Plays sometimes, but it's generally for games that I know I'm not going to actually want to play. Um, right. For certain horror games that are overly intense or overly scary uh, type, I I would like to watch a Let's Play of it because I like the commentary, I like experiencing the storyline, but if I were to actually play that game, I would probably be... It would take me a very, very long time to get through because I would get to a really scary part and then never pick it up again. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it's... There is something to the commentary, and that therein also is in support of fair use. But I can see why companies like Nintendo specifically really don't like people playing their games. Uh, or on watching people watching play people their play their games, games. yeah, yeah. They, they want people to play their games. Excuse me, yeah. they don't want people playing their games and then streaming that online, um, just because that's, it kind of ruins the. They believe it takes money out of their pockets. Yeah. They believe they're not getting the sales of these games, which most of the games that are being streamed probably are going to sell anyway. In general, people that are streaming games are playing good games. Yeah, yeah. Unless it's commentary about the game being bad, which I appreciate. There, There is a certain level of kind of consumer protection in a lot of these Let's Play games, or Let's Play videos. It's nice to know that I can go, I can search for a title on YouTube. There is almost always video of it. Yeah. Uh, so I can actually see what the game is like to, to be able to recognize whether or not I want to purchase said game. Yeah. So I think there's purpose and value to it, and oftentimes they're very entertaining. But I also understand why a company like Nintendo really dislikes people doing it so as uh, as part of this uh youtube red oh yes service, getting back to yeah, this yes no that uh, google enough. is launching they actually 
opened up the YouTube Copyright Center, which uh, goes over copyright basics. It talks about fair use and uh, they're being a little more forthcoming about fair use and because um, they want to protect these uh, these content providers that they're, they're basically paying yeah. now. Like these people got so popular that now Google has basically hired them to create content for their premium subscription service yeah it makes sense yeah so yeah, um, they, they got to protect the baby yeah so they're they're trying to be a little more proactive and a little more a little less um you know just pull every video that gets a copyright claim down like they want to encourage people to create more and to upload more if people stop if people are afraid that their use of something is going to get them in uh in court over a battle which they would po- quite possibly lose and essentially probably destroy their finances because you, generally you have to pay a lot of money in these cases because these companies can cannot just uh, make you force you to have to pay for its use, but they'll also uh, ask for damages. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is one thing I will say is nice about a, a educational organization or a nonprofit. I think a nonprofit's covered under this, but definitely an educational organization like a library or a school, even if the use is determined to not be fair use, companies cannot sue us for damages. It's written into U.S. copyright law. So we would have to pay for the the use of the item, which could be quite a bit of money, but at least they can't sue us for millions on top of that. And that's that's where it really hurts. That's where people's lives are ruined. Now, what's interesting also about this uh, YouTube Copyright Center is Google's actually pinpointing or showcasing videos that it believes fall under fair use that got a takedown claim. Which is great. So they're they're highlighting examples. Yes, yeah, they th- they themselves are showing essentially what the baseline is for your use. That is very smart. It's very educational as well because I think a lot of people don't really pay attention to the use of what they're doing. I see a lot of uh, it's more. I don't see it as much now, but I used to see it a lot where people will just pull music clips from stuff and use it in their videos, and they make money off of those videos. It's really as I mean, if it's a if it's a significant amount of the music, then that's really not good. And sometimes it, I would say, or at least I could argue that it is the heart of the work that they're pulling into these videos. And oftentimes they're let's plays. It's you know, people make a joke uh, about that, or they'll throw in a song that's funny, uh, or or the commentary, the use of the song is humorous in that moment, and so they, for whatever reason. They'll maybe attribute it, which helps, but that may not be considered fair use. It's arguable, like any of this stuff. Yeah, there's so many gray areas. Yes. Fair usage is a guideline. It It is intentionally a kind of a gray area matter only because... It helps protect you from any sort of uh, litigation. You know, one of, one of my favorite, uh, and this is another slight uh, divergence from the topic, but it's on the topic. But one of my favorite copyright lawsuits is uh, Fogarty versus Fantasy Inc., which is John Fogarty got sued by his old record label. Yeah. Uh, John Fogarty was the lead singer of Creedence Clearwater Revival. If you and he, if you if you recall, yeah. And uh, he went solo. He wrote a song on his solo career that sounded too much like a song that he wrote Under, when he was in yeah, Creedence. Yeah. <laughs> and the record label sued him for stealing from himself. Yep. And that's because they own the rights to the copyrighted work. <laughs> that's all it comes down to. 
and they believed that it was going to actually damage the sales of their previous copyrighted work. Now, I, I do want to make it abundantly clear. These guidelines do not protect you. They're not an iron suit. You could be sued for your use. Uh, as I said previously, you, you better feel very confident in your usage is covered under fair use before you start creating videos and putting them up on YouTube. You really need to think through what you're doing with that work and its intention. You really need to go down all four factors. No one factor protects you from the other three. Like if you're creating something in an educational uh, institution, but it's it's like a, a piece of fiction, you use the most part, of, you used a, a huge amount of the work, or essentially you stole that whole fictional thing, and uh, you're distributing it on the internet, maybe not necessarily for money, but that can affect the, um, the amount of money that the person could make off of their fictional work. And even though you did it for a, under an educational purpose, you would probably get sued for, for violating a copyright law. It would not really not be considered fair use. So you have to take each individual factor into, into mind when you're going kind of going through fair use. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I, I just want to stress that. Just also, I want to say... Go through the checklist. Go through that checklist, which yeah. we'll, we should have a, we'll a link have to a that. Link. Yep. Um, I, and I, I just want to say that I'm not a lawyer... I have not taken any sort of legal classes. This is stuff that is taught to us uh, in library school, if you so choose. It was an elective course. And I just kind of wanted to know more about um, uh, what we as libraries can do and use uh, in regards to copyright. Because we should always be upholding copyright law as a library. Uh, it's important that we do that so that creative works continue to be made in the future uh, and that the people that are creating these works are given their just dues for their hard work. At our library, we do have a copyright center um, available through our website. Uh, we take requests for if, for instance, a professor wants to use a certain movie or um, more or less movies. More or less, usually, typically, yeah. from what I hear. For their classes, they will contact us through the copyright center and we will try to get the license for them to use that. That usage is also supported under some other uh, other laws, specifically Section 108, um, that helps... Oh, not Section 108, it's the TEACH Act, which we're not going to get into. But if you want to Google the TEACH Act, you can kind of read on how that's supported. Um, now, that, that doesn't always work for us because we have a lot of online students, but for face-to-face -face stuff, usually the TEACH Act is... Uh, at least one factor in the TEACH Act is going to help support uh, specifically video. That's usually uh, what would normally be considered a public performance of a video that that is then covered under the Teach Act in a classroom. A little tidbit at the end, but uh, I think we're approaching our time limit here. We're almost at an hour, so I think we probably need to wrap this up. Maybe not necessarily everyone's cup of tea that they want to talk about. Maybe not necessarily something that is super interesting, but this is part of U.S. law. And it's something that we should all be kind of aware uh, about just so that we don't straight up get sued. Yeah. If you're interested in content creation, um, if you're a writer or a video editor if, or if a musician. You, if and... you're making stuff and putting it out on YouTube, that, that mother that got sued for that video with Prince playing in the background, 
she's not really a content creator. She's just a, just a woman that had a child that she thought was doing something funny, and she wanted to share that video with her friends, and it got a lot of guff. I mean, it's, and had to fight a court battle. So, yeah, uh, thank goodness that went to court. Thank goodness that got uh, supported by fair use, and that will really, really help all of us as, as content creators in the future from uh, any sort of incidental litigation. It won't protect us completely, but it helps. All right. Well, thank you very much. I think that's about all the time we have today. Uh, yeah, I don't think we can really... And, and plus, uh, mm -hmm. I, I, copyright is, uh, is a little on the dry side. So thank <laughs> you all for sticking through the end of the episode. Uh, you can find us on archive.org. You can find us on our blog, and you can find us at uh, good old iTunes. <laughs> so please subscribe. Uh, if you want, you could give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, every single podcast you ever listen to will ask you to do this, so we will as well. Uh, so if you like us uh, and you want to help support the show, then if you would just give us a rating on iTunes, let us know how we're doing. And I think with that, we're out of here. <laughs>